baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. I had to let the uh, first uh, part of that verse go through there. My friend's fantastic cat, Anthony Diamato, and a bunch of his friends from New York. Fantastic band. They were here over the summer. You should check out their record because it really was one of the best of 2023. Of course, I post the uh, the set list for the bumper music every day. I might be the only one that cares about it. But if you are ever curious about a song that airs during the show, you can follow on X, formerly Twitter. It's Federally mandated, you have to say it that way, at Mark Reardon KFTK. And we had a bunch of great artists on the list today. I'm about to post that up there on Twitter. We'll have on the show tomorrow Brian Kilmeade, fresh off his trip to St. Louis on Friday night. Alex Rich, our friend from Y98, will be here in the 4 o'clock hour. A little bit later this hour, Steve Gorham, who's executive director of the Climate Science Coalition. He is the author of the latest book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. We'll talk about the U.N. Climate Conference, John Kerry's idea about eliminating all coal plants and some other things with Steve coming up. I came across, um, and admittedly this is a troubling topic and a troubling subject, something on The Federalist written by Haley McNamara, who's the VP of Strategy and Communications at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And she wrote a piece, and the headline is going to grab you right now because of the topic matter. Your daughter's face could be hijacked for deep fake porn. And there are a lot of things that are going on right now on um, the Internet along these lines. And there's some stuff even that The Wall Street Journal covered a couple of days ago about Meta and Instagram not really doing a great Great job when it comes to rooting out some of the pedophiles. So it's frightening. It's disgusting. But Haley McNamara is with us tonight to talk about it. Hi, Haley. Welcome to 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Not really the party topic of conversation that you would ordinarily have with your friends, but this stuff is pretty important. And I think you should share with the audience some of the things that you found out here about what's going on with, you know, some of the manipulations and deep fake images out there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's not something that maybe is a typical Tuesday evening conversation, but it's certainly so important, you know, especially with all the talk right now about emerging technologies. There's a lot of fears or conjecture about what different harms might be, but there's one type of harm that we already know is manifesting itself and is actually predictable at this point, which is uh, image-based sexual abuse, with a broad term that encompasses a lot of things from uh, non-consensual recording or sharing of explicit imagery, but it also includes non-consensual AI or deep fake content. So this is maybe synthetic content. Um, and I think when people think about, you know, we've seen different headlines of deep fake pornography issues. We know, for example, that celebrities have had these falsified images made of them. But more and more, this is happening to average people. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a story of a girl in high school who some boys in her class started creating this content of her and sharing it online. And when that happens, of course, it spreads like wildfire. So I think this is a kind of thing that we often think about is maybe in the future or on the horizon. But unfortunately, this dynamic is here and is really present. Yeah. Uh, for- so this this is unique from this standpoint. Uh, you know, I, I, I've talked about, I can't even tell you how many issues I've talked about on the radio. So decades 
over decades, right? I've never, ever committed a segment to IBSA, the image-based sexual abuse, because obviously it's been something that's a little new to the forefront. But one of the things that kind of caught my attention in the piece is, um, and I think this is important for people to know, these are not, as you wrote, Haley, sloppy Photoshop of a face onto a body, right? The way that it used to happen. These look like they're absolutely real. And, and it's very difficult to distinguish between real and fake in these circumstances, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've actually spoken with executives at some of the top technology companies whose products we use day to day, and they've told us that they can't tell the difference very often between, you know, what is a real image or a fake image. The technology already is that good. And I would also say, you know, that isn't something that you need to go to the dark web to be able to do. There's actually Microsoft's GitHub is a very popular open source website where people can share code to create different tools and online platforms, and it hosts openly source code that's used to create 95% of the sexual deepfakes online right now. So it's unfortunately happening right in front of our eyes on on open sources. So can, can you realistically, I'm a realist, okay, and I understand calls to do something about it. I think we should do as much as possible. But what can you do that would realistically kind of, you know, interfere with the momentum on some of this disgusting content? Yeah, the good news is there there is a lot that we can do that's kind of mass scale prevention. So one thing that we really need is whether it's legislation or private companies just taking it upon themselves to do the right thing, to have a policy that if they cannot objectively verify identity, age and consent of every explicit image, that they don't host that image. Um, and I think it's a very common sense. At this point, you know, we unfortunately know on pornography websites, but as well social media websites, Twitter and Snapchat and others, where non-consensual material is rampant, even just of, you know, real imagery, let alone this kind of falsified and or synthetic imagery. Well, one of the things that I've always been curious about this, I mean, over the years on the Internet, Haley, like if you go to... Um a company will use St. Louis Connection, Anheuser-Busch, a tobacco company, or now that we have medicinal marijuana and, you know, um, in, in Missouri, it's recreational as well, Illinois. But if you go to cannabis websites, you're asked, you know, are you 18? And you have to answer the question, yes. Well, anyone can answer the question, yes. Even if you have to enter your birthday, you can make up a birthday. There really is not a good, effective, or at least one that they utilize age verification type of process for a lot of these sites, right? Yeah, I think I think that last point they said is not that they utilize. So internationally, this issue of age verification is um, really growing and identity verification is needed, too, for explicit materials. But there is actually an age verification providers association that has um, very high standards that has. It's much better than checking a box. You know, I don't know if I want to get too technical, but they have ways of really making sure that. Um, for example, checking government ID, maybe biometric data, you know, but at this point, what I would say is, you know, we see that the harms and risks and damage that's caused by these non-consensual images being shared is so significant. I mean, when I speak with survivors, they talk about walking down the street and being scared because they don't know whoever they see on the street might have seen these images of them, whether they're real or fake. And that kind of 
trauma is quite serious. So I think at this point, we need to raise the bar and say, yeah, you do need to take advantage. This technology does exist that can verify identity and age, but it is a step above what they're doing. Just checking a box isn't good enough. Haley McNamara, she's the Vice President of Strategy and Communications at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Did you see this Wall Street Journal piece that I referred to that was in um, on Friday about Meta and um, Instagram? Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me me just share this with the audience just a little bit. It says platforms, um, meta platforms have spent months trying to fix child safety problems on Instagram and Facebook, but is struggling to prevent its own systems from enabling and even promoting a vast network of pedophile accounts. The social media giant set up a child safety task force in June after the Wall Street Journal and researchers at Stanford and the University of Massachusetts Amherst revealed, and I remember this story at the time, I don't know if I really talked about it, that the Instagram algorithms connected a web of accounts devoted to the creation, purchasing, and trading of underage sex content. So their report says five months later, nothing's better. They did the same tests. They still promote the content. The company has taken down some hashtags related to pedophilia, but the systems are still making recommendations. Good Lord, we can put a rover on Mars. We can't do something about that? Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you. And unfortunately, this issue isn't new even you know we've actually so we have an annual campaign called the dirty dozen list where we name 12 mainstream companies that facilitate sexual exploitation and instagram and meta have both been on and off of it you know for years as we've been seeing the same things that the wall street journal um showed and i think what we're seeing right now both with the child abuse issues and then also this image-based sexual abuse is that big tech feels like they're immune to any kind of liability. And so they aren't investing in the safety protocols. And we've actually talked with people on safety teams at some of these big tech companies who say, you know, it's the profit-driven stuff that gets the resources and the safety teams aren't in the driving seat. And they're often considered kind of like a last minute thing that you'll tag on or something that you'll talk about when you get in trouble in the press. So, yeah. How, how, let me, let me read from one of the lines from the wall street journal piece and just get your reaction because it said the company, this is meta. The company said it, it also introduced other ways to find and remove accounts that violate its child exploitation policies and has improved technology to identify adult nudity and sexual activity in live videos. But when it comes to the child exploitation policies, look, I don't think there would be any debate over uh, a child, whatever the age might be under 15, that's nude or performing some sexual act. But let's be honest, you you see things out there, and I think parents make mistakes when they post some pictures, of younger kids that might not be nude, but they're certainly in poses or in outfits or in dresses that are sexualized. Is there any kind of policy that would even prevent that? Because that's problematic, but it's not nudity. So I guess I raise the question because can you real can you really root this stuff out in the end? Because there's ways to get around it. You understand that question though, right? Yes, I do. And I think, you know, that there that's where maybe there's a difference between what the law calls for, which is, you know, anything of ex- explicit of a minor under the age of eighteen is by law contraband and illegal. But when you're a private company, you can also have a higher standard. And so I think these companies, you know, do need to have a higher standard against the sexualization of children on their platform. Because I would say it's very similar to what the Wall Street Journal found. We've found countless accounts that really just aggregate images of young girls in bathing suits and then openly say, you know, 
message me for more or more explicit material. And it's a way that they, like you said, get around the policies and then advertise for sharing more um, explicit and illegal content. Yeah, I I think it's, and look, I'm no prude and I'm all for adults having the freedom to do things, but I've even Mm. noticed some things out there that are more than problematic and you know, I don't see it getting better. So, Haley, thanks, thanks for coming on here. What, what's your group's uh, website, in, in case anyone's curious and wants to find out a little bit more? Thank you. Our website is endsexualexploitation.org, but I would, especially on these topics, direct people to dirtydozenlist.com, which is that campaign I mentioned earlier. And Instagram is on the Dirty Dozen list right now, and so is GitHub, which I mentioned is facilitating a lot of the um, synthetic deep fake materials. And what you can do at dirtydozenlist.com is you can take easy actions to contact those companies and sometimes even contact elected officials to ask them to do better. We've had victories in the past, so we do know progress is possible. But it, but thank you for covering this and helping give voice to it. Well, I, I like the piece a lot. I think it's just one of those undercover stories. Like I said, I, I really I mentioned at the time when The Wall Street Journal, I, I can't believe that was five months ago, first of all, because I feel like it was just yesterday when they talked about the algorithms. I remember reading that story. So this is a good follow up. Haley, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, we're sprinkling in some uh, Christmas music here. I'm wrapping up slowly. And we're going to start with Low Straight Jackets because I love them so much. And Nick Lowe performing with Low Straight Jackets. Bells are ringing. Are you listening? You know, that was for Sue, and she's not even in the room right now. She saw Nick Lowe at Del Mar Hall a couple of weeks ago. Happy and bright. Low Straight Jackets really just instrumental, and they perform with Mexican wrestling masks on, which is very unique. But they also perform every once in a while with uh, with Nick Lowe, and that's what they're doing on that song. So we'll, we'll sprinkle some in this week, and then we'll go full bore in about a week with Christmas tunes. Uh, Steve Gorham is back with us this afternoon. He's the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition, also the author of the latest book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. We're going to talk about the U.N. Climate Conference and some of the nonsense going on there. Steve, how are you? Welcome back. Hey, Mark. Great to join you again. I'm doing well. Before I get to the uh, the seriousness of this topic, have you heard the John Kerry methane gas soundbite from today? I haven't heard the one from today. Let me I heard let the me one play about that. Coal, but fire away on that. Well, well you're going to be you're going to be uh, apologetic that you said fire away. But here we go. I find myself getting more and more militant because I do not understand how adults who are in position of responsibility can be avoiding responsibility for taking away those things that are killing people on a daily basis. Okay, there it was right there. Let me isolate that. There's a little bit of a horn sound, Steve. Check this out. On a daily basis. Some people think that was methane gas coming from John Kerry himself at that podium. (laughs) You don't have to comment on that, but that is one of the stories of the day. But in all seriousness, the real issue here is what John Kerry says about coal plants. We should not measure progress on the climate crisis just by the degrees averted but by the lives saved. We don't need that necessarily to tell us we ought to be transitioning out of coal. There shouldn't be any more coal-fired power plants permitted anywhere in the world. That's how you can do something for health. 
All right, Steve. Well, he's nuts. We know that. I mean, he flew on his big, um, you know, carbon eating plane when he went over there. It's funny because I heard something yesterday that talked about how, you know, heat is killing so many people on the planet. You know what could help that? Air conditioning. You know what causes air conditioning? Coal-fired power plants in these poor countries, yep. right? Yeah, absolutely right. And and it is just crazy what he says. Uh, by the way, state of Missouri gets 77% of your electricity from coal, about That's 7% right. from gas, 6 from nuclear. And the good news is that you have in the top, you're in the top 10 for the lowest electricity prices in the country, about 12 cents a kilowatt hour. And, and Green California is up about 26. They pay about two and a half times your electricity. But more importantly, across the world today, we have, we have uh, 4,000 coal-fired power plants. Coal is the biggest source of electricity around the world. They're building another 1,000. They're either in-planning or constructing. And yet we have an electricity shortage across the world. We have 700 million people that don't have electricity. And there are more than there are hundreds of hospitals that don't have electricity. Can you imagine running a hospital without air conditioning or without uh, electricity for your for your surgery rooms? And then there are another two billion people that uh, have blackouts every other day. So we have about a third of the world that doesn't have electricity. And, and John Kerry says, "Well, let's get rid of all those coal plants." Uh, it, it just is remarkable. It, it it is just there's no common sense at all. But that is what they're discussing at uh, COP28. Uh, they're going to try and get rid of coal, and they want to get rid of oil and gas as well. Well, so, you know, this you've been following this for the longest time. Um, it's the same thing year after year when they have these climate conferences. They're trying to scare the hell out of people. However, you know, if you go back and you start looking, and you do this on a regular basis, Steve, you start looking at these predictions over the decades about climate yeah. and what's going to happen, they, they, they're pretty good at getting this stuff wrong. <laughs> yeah, I have four books that are filled with wrong predictions. Uh, they're they're color books mostly. They have sidebars that talk about all these predictions. Um, uh, we had Paul Ehrlich with a population bomb in about 1970. He said, well, if he was a betting man, he'd bet 50-50 that the United Kingdom wouldn't be around by the year 2000. Uh, we have Al Gore who predicted all the ice in the Arctic. In 2008, he predicted all the ice would be out, would be gone in the summers. By 2014, that didn't happen. But there are just many, many predictions, and the people seem to forget them. Uh, so it, it's just crazy, and, and this COP conference is, is really goofy. 70,000 delegates are meeting in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and uh, about 95% of them flew in on commercial aircraft or private aircraft. And for every uh, pound of jet fuel you burn, you emit three pounds of carbon dioxide, and then they get in limousines and they get in taxis and they drive to Dubai Expo City. Uh, there are some electric vehicles, but these are charged on UAE electricity, 82%, which is produced by natural gas. So this is this is the biggest carbon dioxide emitting event, event in the world this year. That's how ironic this is. Yeah, go figure. Now, when you talk about in the book, the, the coming green breakdown, I think there's been a fair amount of coverage in the legacy media about the things that you've written about. I had a great guest from the Wall Street Journal on a couple of weeks ago who went out to California, rented, uh, and I think she even said she had an EV out east, but didn't drive it across the country, but rented an EV, started going to charging stations, found out that, and these are non-Tesla charging stations, find out that none of them are working. You know, everywhere she went, time after time after time, this stuff was not functioning, and and then, you know, then you're reminded that people actually, I think there's a theory out there that people get electricity for their cars. They don't have to pay for that. Well, they do have to pay for that, a charging station. So some of this is kind of collapsing right now into a house of yep. cards, isn't it? Yeah, we're seeing early, we're seeing early effects, an early uh, uh, forerunner of the green breakdown. 
Uh, electric vehicles have hit a speed bump. Uh, inventories are up 300%. Uh, Ford is losing 40000 to 60000 per EV. Ford and uh, General Motors GM have scaled back their, their forecasts. Uh, the offshore wind is not doing well uh, off the east coast of the U.S. About uh, half of those companies have pulled out. They can't afford to build those offshore wind turbines. Uh, they just had an auction in the U.K. for onshore wind, and they had no bidders. But the U.K. government's going to fix that. They're going to raise the price 70 <laughs> percent. And so so we have an EV speed bump. The other thing is, if you look at the price of, of uh, renewable companies, uh, the renewable companies had a whole have been dropping now three three years in a row. Uh, Siemens uh, Gamisa, uh, a big wind company, has just been bailed out by the German government to the tune of $10 billion. Uh, so we have all That's this, this carnage, carnage going on. Oh, another big thing is insurance rates for EVs. The price for insuring an EV is about 70% higher in the United States than a gasoline car. And in the U.K. now, if you can get insurance, it costs you 5,000 pounds for a year to insure an EV. So there are a lot of signs that this stuff is breaking down. And we're going to get back to uh, low-cost, reliable energy. Steve Gorham is with us. Uh, he's the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. When you say, I don't know if I've ever asked you about this, but what you, you have written, you talk about how all these efforts to electrify everything will cause a loss of freedom. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, we have a lot of states now that have decided to ban electric vehicles by 2035. Uh, California, Oregon, Washington, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland. And one so state they just want, backed they, off, though. They, what was it? One of the states finally, was it Connecticut? Somewhere yeah, out east they said, hey, we can't just, do this. Just, just voted against it. The governor didn't accept it. But they would like to uh, make it impossible for you to get an EV. I'm sorry, to get a gasoline car, you have to buy an EV. We also have an issue with gas stoves. We have a number of states, uh, the similar states, who are, are banning uh, natural gas in new construction. And so they're not going to give you a choice there either. Uh, there's a war going on in the United States right now. We have six states uh, that have banned uh, in cities or counties gas stoves, but we have now 19 states that have passed laws prohibiting cities and counties from banning gas stoves. Uh, people don't get much press on that, but but uh, if the climatists have their way, they'll want to take away not only your gas car, but your gas uh, your gasoline car, but your gas stove. I, I love this, and I, I'm, I if you didn't hear it, I'm going to play it to you, and I know you're going to have a great response to it. This is King Charles, King Charles from last week, in advance of this uh, climate summit. The current pandemic has brought unimaginable devastation to people's lives, livelihoods, and national economies. At the same time, the green recovery represents an unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live and do business. Well, I also need Kevin Klein's help here. Hang on, Steve. Oh, you English are so superior, aren't you? I am most certain, Steve Gorham, and I, I tweeted this out last week. If you're looking for volunteers to live in approximately a 600-square-foot home and not fly on airplanes, yeah. it's King Charles and his family. They'd be the first to step up and say, you know what? We're getting out of the, the kingdoms and the big houses and the castles. We're going to live in a really, really small apartment, and we're not going to use any gas appliances. That's what they would well, do. Yeah, and in England, and net zero is becoming a hated word. The, the International Energy Agency says they're doing really well being more efficient with, with using natural gas. But what's happening is uh, people are going to bed early to stay warm. They're putting newspaper on their windows. Uh, they have a couple thousand pound uh, energy bills in the winter. This is not being more energy efficient. This is a lower standard of living. 
And this is being driven by green policies. And to the extent that we keep pushing this, that's what's going to be happening to people. And I, and I don't think people get that. Even the progressive, the environmentalists, the ones who want to push all this, the do-gooders because they've been brainwashed, they don't understand that. And not only do they not understand it, but let's face it, they're not willing to make those sacrifices. <laughs> they are. John Kerry's flying all around in his uh, private jet, but he, say, he, is, he said basically his work is too important for him to uh, to uh, fly commercially. Uh, Bill Gates has, has a house that, that uses more than 20 times as much electricity as anybody else in the country, uh, and he's pushing the green as well. So it, it's very hypocritical. It's very unfortunate. Well, Steve, we always rely on you to kind of um, you know put this into context, and you've done it once again here tonight on 97.1 FM Talk, so I really appreciate that. The book is called Green Breakdown. We've talked about you uh, with that before, the coming renewable energy failure. Keep on them, Steve Gorham. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. All right, take care. I wanted to um, to play one more soundbite here from a uh, coal miner r- responding. This is in West Virginia, mm. responding to John Kerry. I don't understand how he can uh, say some of the things that he does, but, uh, you know, we, we've always looked at this administration as uh, Obama 2.0 and where we had the war on coal during the Obama administration. Now, I guess we have the war on coal 2.0. Uh, they make promises about pushing uh, electric vehicles. How are you going to power all these new uh, charging stations and things that are going to be necessary for that much more strain on our grid? And that's the coal uh, industry. But then you turn around and uh, you're going to go across the world in private jets or uh, in the uh, not very carbon uh, friendly machines. Yeah. So, you know, Steve was highlighting our energy prices. He's always good at kind of localizing that. And if you look at the average, the average is 15.12 cents per kilowatt. And we're below the average, 12.29, because we get a lot of our energy from coal. Iowa, 13.07. They're below the average. Arkansas is below the average. Oklahoma, all the flyover states below the average because they don't have nutcases running their states. Texas, below the average. You know what brings it over the average? Illinois, California, Washington State, all, all, you know, believe it or not, even some of the states in in the south are a little higher than we are. Then you get out east. That's where it's really high. Look at, and I don't even know all the states out east, (laughs) Sue. Whenever I look at a map, can I just name Maine and and Connecticut and all those? But look at at the prices. I'm kind of showing her the map. 20.18, 25.50, 26.10. This is all in Connecticut, New Hampshire, New York, and the rest of the country pretty moderate, but all the environmentally wacko states are really, really high. Now, I I do have some hope here as well, where, and some of this is going to depend on what happens in the election next year, because I do think people are onto this a little bit more. I think you're going to have the necessity, perhaps, maybe this is wishful thinking, for even some of the legacy media to cover these stories in a more honest way when you get to the point where people can't have their cars charging, right? How often, now they lie about this stuff quite a bit, and they love putting headlines in there about the hottest, you know, July on record and how we're in global boiling, right? That, remember right, that line? Right. But will, will they actually do stories outside of you know, outlets like the Wall Street Journal that will put some of this stuff into proper perspective for consumers. Really, all we see is how the major auto companies have lost, you know, $40,000 on each vehicle, et cetera. I don't even know how that's sustainable. Imagine that. It's ridiculous. And it's all because of the mandates. It's all because of these mandates. All right, 541, audio cut of the day, and a little bit more coming up. Got a couple updates here before I get to audio cut of the day on stories that we have talked about in the past that the listeners, I think, would remember. Do you remember the story? I'm going to test this out with you, okay? All right. Remember the story of the guy that took off on a plane? He was a pilot, 
and then it looked like the plane was going to crash, and he ejected, and he filmed himself as he jumped out of the plane, and then yes. the plane crashed. So this guy um, is named—let me make sure I get his name—Trevor Jacob. He's a former Olympic snowboarding athlete. And what happened was, this goes back to December 23rd, 2021. He puts a video up on YouTube that is entitled, I Crashed My Airplane. That thing has 4.4 million views right now. Mm. And it included a promotion of the wallet and depicted him parachuting from a plane and the plane's subsequent crash. So he films himself and he says, look, uh, my name is Trevor. I love sharing adventures, experiences, things I've learned. Um, he, he posts that up there. It gets all kinds of attention. Well, <laughs> it was all set up, right? He's now been found guilty and he's been sentenced. Of what? Well, he lied. Uh, he sentenced to six months in federal prison for obstructing a federal investigation oh. by deliberately destroying the wreckage of an airplane that he intentionally crashed in Santa Barbara County to gain online views, prosecutors said. So oh he my pleaded guilty to what? And by the way, this is just coming out. This happened um, several months ago, but he pleaded guilty this summer to one count of destruction and concealment with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation. Oh, I know why it's coming out. He was just sentenced. That's right. Oh, okay. So he was just sentenced yesterday. Prosecutors say an experienced pilot and skydiver had secured a sponsorship from a company that sold various products, including a wallet. Jacob had guaranteed or agreed to promote the company's wallet in a YouTube video that he would post. But sure, he sure did promote. He got four point. Well, I don't well, know how many views came after that. Was it his plane? Is is it the problem that it wasn't his plane, or was it the problem that he? Did not clear. Did he no, pretend that it was a wreck? No, he, that no, happened? no, it was a real wreck. I don't know. If he, I, I'm guessing he would have submitted something for insurance. He tried to make it seem like he had to get out of that, and it was an emergency. And then he crashes the so the he plane. crashed it on purpose and lied and said he had to get out because it was an emergency. In the weeks following the plane crash, Jacob lied to investigators that he did not know the wreckage's <laughs> location. But in fact, prosecutors say on December 10th, Jacob and a friend flew by helicopter to the wreckage where Jacob used straps to secure the wreckage. Look, if you think you're going to get away with anything, you're, you're not. They're going to find yeah. you out, right? So the helicopter lifted and carried them to Santa Barbara County, was loaded onto a trailer attached to his pickup truck. He drove that to the airport, unloaded it in a hangar, then cut up and destroyed the wreckage, and over the course of a few days, deposited the parts into trash bins at the airport and elsewhere. Oh. I had never heard that part. Wow. Wow. So... <laughs> I, I need to get – I'm going to get the audio of this tomorrow. I, I kind of um, screwed up here as a host because apparently yesterday he posted a video on Instagram that said this. I got my pilot's license back but going to prison. And he captioned it, we learn from our mistakes. Thank you for your support. In the video he said, it's been a wild ride. I guess you know God throws you certain things in certain situations that force you to grow up, and that's exactly what this is. Wow. wow. I know, right? That's a crazy story. Um, there was one other here that I I'm wanted to get sure to. I'm still not sure why he carted all that off. I'm going to have to. He just was trying. Well, he to was say trying to hide the. He was trying to hide the wreckage. That, the, you know. But they. Yeah. But there's video of it going down. So. I, but they needed the evidence and stuff. I uh, think. I okay. think sometimes. Who knows what was going through his mind? Uh, remind me tomorrow to tell you the story, and I'm going to send this to Fred right now, uh, of the Ukrainian sniper. Okay. okay. I'm going to say, make me do this tomorrow because it's a great story. Do this. Sorry, this is like <laughs> really professional radio. But if oh, I here's forget, Fred. But here's, I'm telling you, if I forget to do this, Fred, make me do this story tomorrow. I'm going to send to you, okay? 
Okay. All right. Thank you. See, I could have just said well, that was it. Fred, Fred always is listening. Thanks, Even when Fred. he's not in the room, he's listening. Um, because I have a rather lengthy audio cut of the day. I want to do this multi-tiered this afternoon. So let's get to this. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. All right. These are good here today. I started the show with it. If you were here at the beginning of the show, God bless you for sticking with us for almost three hours, but you're off the hook now. You can go you know, enjoy your dinner or something like that. No, I'm just kidding. I want you to be here. Riley Gaines testifying today before a committee, and this was really, really interesting. So we had a woman. Um, do we have the woman from Heritage set up tomorrow? Uh, not yet. Waiting for her to get off the hill. So she was testifying in this committee, a woman from Heritage and also Riley Gaines, about you know these issues with women's sports. And Fred, damn it, I don't have the name of the stupid person that I'm talking about here. This Pennsylvania lawmaker. What was her name? Summer Lee? Wasn't it Summer? Did I get it right? Yes, yeah, Summer, Summer Lee. Summer Lee. So here's the exchange during this committee hearing. Such as teamwork and goal setting. In terms of mental health, studies show that participating in youth sports is associated with lower rates of anxiety and depression. Low- now, I just want to set up here. So Summer, the congresswoman from Pennsylvania, is trying to make the case that we can't, we can't, biological men should absolutely be able to compete with biological women in sports at all levels. Because if we do that, if we harm the trans kid, they're going to kill themselves and all this other, all these horrible things that really there's no proof of, but they keep repeating even during congressional hearings. Or amounts of stress, higher self-esteem and confidence. Women must stop. Inclusion cannot be prioritized over safety and fairness. And Ranking Member Lee, if my testimony makes me transphobic, then I believe your opening monologue makes you a misogynist. Yes, Riley Gaines nails her there. Well, she doesn't like that very much. Congresswoman Lee decides, I'm going to do something here with a point of order because I don't think that should be allowed in the record. Madam Chair, she's engaging in personalities. Can I just ask how it's fair to be called transphobic? There's a thing. I would say men disguising themselves as women are engaging in personalities. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Order, order. Let's, Let's get a ruling. So the chair was trying to, you know, kind of settle things down a little bit and then they talked and they had these whispered conversations and then finally congresswoman lee said okay i move to withdraw the point of order yeah she lost thank you miss lee um i now recognize ms perry for her opening statement we can start over yeah ms perry had started that's the woman from heritage and she was outstanding too so we may have her tomorrow second part of the audio cut of the day Features Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, who embarrassed the crap out of herself in front of lawmakers and the whole country today. This is Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. By the way, Audio Cut of the Day is sponsored by the Good Feet Store, where it's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus. Yes. Okay, so she keeps going on about that, but she really doesn't condemn some of the things that are happening. And then Congresswoman Stefanik just absolutely mic drop here. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to free speech... It's a yes or no question. Is that corrected? Is that... 
okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech. It's a yes extends. or no question. It really is. Now, outside of all of that, those of you who are astute listeners realize that there was an interesting pronunciation there. That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. I don't know how you can be president of Harvard when you say that the wrong way. Abhorrent. Yeah, it's abhorrent. There's an H in there, President Gay. Good Lord. I think she should resign just for that, not because she's supporting people who um, support terrorists all yes. over her campus. Unbelievable times. Have a great night. We'll talk tomorrow at 3. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.